on with our conversation for today, the book of Acts. Now, we started this conversation last week, so if you missed last week, you can come back and you can you can go wherever you get your podcast. You can listen there. You can go to our YouTube channel and you can watch along there if you'd like to. Um, but just to kind of set this up, one of the things we do at GFC is we usually pick one book of, one book of the Bible for the year. Uh, and we kind of break it up and go through. So this is week two of the first section of the book of Acts. So we're going to do four weeks, and then we're going to switch gears. We're going to switch gears uh, before Easter. By the way, Easter is like six weeks away, okay? So for me, that feels like it's tomorrow. I don't know what it feels like for you, but it's the last week of March, okay? So it's not in April, it's in March. Just be ready for that, okay? So switch gears a little bit. We'll bounce around before Easter, and then after Easter, we'll jump back into Acts uh, a little bit after that. And so this is the first section. So we teed it up last week and kind of started to have the conversation, but I want to remind us of a few things before we dive in, just in case you weren't here or just in case you didn't catch this as we're having the conversation uh, last week. The first thing I want us to understand and remember is that Acts is part two of the Gospel of Luke. So last year, uh, we went through the Gospel of Luke. Again, we didn't touch every verse, but we went through a large section of Luke last year. And so Luke is, he writes Luke, the Gospel of Luke, right? Because he's telling us all all about Jesus' life. It's his ministry. It's where he was. It's what he did. It's who the people were along with him. And so we get the account specifically about Jesus. And then Luke, same author, writes Acts. And he writes it as the results of Luke, right? So he talks about Jesus and his life and everything, and then he switches to Acts and says, now this is the fallout from that. Now, here's what we don't know. I wish we knew this. We don't know where along the line Luke actually like jumped on the Jesus bandwagon. We don't know where he, where he came to, like how did he come to know Jesus and what did that look like and where. We don't think he was there from the beginning because he says in Luke that he got some accounts from other people. But at some point in this time, like right after Jesus ascends or right before the church, somewhere around there, uh, Luke jumps in, and he's a part of it, and he's continuing on. And we know this because Luke was actually a doctor who traveled with Paul. So important, right? He's a doctor. That means he's an educated person. Uh, he's connected well. He's putting his um, influence on the line and his reputation on the line, saying somebody actually rose from the dead, right, as a doctor. And he actually traveled with Paul. And so we know from Paul that he was there alongside him. So Luke jumps in at some point, right? He wasn't there for all the things that happened in Luke that he talks about, but he was there for the beginning of the church. And between Luke and Paul, we get most of what we would call the New Testament. These guys teaming up, working together, um, writing all of the things that were happening, we get most of the New Testament. We get most of the understanding of how the church started in the years just after uh, Jesus was around. And then we have to think about who was Luke actually writing to. And he was writing to a guy named Theophilus, who was also who he wrote the book of Luke to. And he was, Theophilus was most likely a Roman official. And this is interesting because the Romans didn't like Christians because they based their religion on the fact that the Romans were supposed to kill Jesus and then he walked back out of the tomb, right? That doesn't actually bode well if you were supposed to keep a guy dead. It's not that hard to keep people dead, but they couldn't do it in this case, right? And so they didn't like that that was the thing that was going around. So he's writing to this Roman official and kind of helping to bridge the gap between the church and between the Romans and trying to help them understand what's going on, who Jesus is, and what's going on with the church. And so we talked about that last week. We launched in verses 1 through 11, and then we're going to continue the conversation today, starting uh, in verse 12. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump into verse 12 of Acts chapter 1. 
You can follow along on the screens, or you can follow along on uh, the, if you scan a little QR code on the back of our Next Steps card, you can get all the notes and all the verses there. If you want to follow along in your own Bible, that works too. Um, I'm going to do something a little bit different today, because I'm actually going to read the whole passage, and then we're going to go back through. Okay, so usually I kind of go piece by piece. We're going to read the whole passage first, and then go piece by piece, all right? I'm probably going to stop a few times, because I can't help myself, but we're going to see how it goes. Okay, so Acts 1, starting in verses 12 to 13, this is what it says. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of about a half mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, and Judas. Okay, so let's just count those, right? Let's just go back through those names and understand who's there. Okay, so Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, and Judas. Okay, different Judas though, right? Judas of James. Now, if you know the scriptures, you know why there's 11, right? If you know the scripture, you know the story, you know why, and we'll get there as to why there's only 11. But here's, here's why I think that this is important, especially just as we start the conversation with the church being where it's at. The people who knew Jesus best stayed. The 11 guys who spent the most time with Jesus, who he reached out to and said, come and follow me, he, they stayed. They made sure that they were there continuing to meet together even after Jesus had died, risen again, and ascended. They didn't go back to what they were just doing. They went back and they continued to follow Jesus together. Okay, so verse 14 going on. It says, they all met together. And we're constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. So we start to get this idea. And then verses 15 to 17 says, During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit, speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. Okay, let me again stop because I can't, st- I can't help myself, right? So the number is important, 120. Now, just to put that in perspective, that's about what we average on a Sunday. So the people in this room and the kids downstairs, 120 people. This is where the church starts, right? You, you've got, Jesus is now, he's gone, right? He's still alive, right? He ascended, but he's not physically on the planet anymore, and so now you've got 120 people. And what was the mission he just gave them? We talked about it last week. They, he says, go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the rest of the world. And he gave 120 people that opportunity. You think about the odds, right? Because we know they were successful because we're sitting here today. You think about the odds of 120 people being able to spread this kind of thing, this ministry, this idea, all around the world and being successful doing it all while the Romans and the Jews didn't like them at all and wanted to get rid of them. I mean, if somebody came in and said, you guys are going to tell the rest of the world and you're going to be successful and you're going to do all, and we all looked at each other like, us, right? Like this is, this is a small group, but they were together and they were ready to kind of take this on. So Peter gives them this information going on uh, in verses 18, 19. By the way, this is gross. So if you get grossed out, just like cover your ears for me, okay? So verses 18, 19 says, Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery. Falling headfirst there, his body split open, spilling out all his intestines. The news of his death spread to all of the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place the Aramaic name of Akaladama, which means field of blood. And if anybody ever says the Bible's boring, just put them right there to the verses, right? 
So verse 20, Peter continued, This was written in the book of Psalms where it says, Let his home become desolate with no one living in it. It also says, let someone else take his position. So verses 21 and 22. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. 23 to 25. So they nominated two men. Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they all prayed, O Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in in this ministry. For he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. Verse 26. Then they cast lots, and Matthias was, was selected to become an apostle with the other eleven. So, if we're... If we're Kind of just reading through Acts. Right? You just open Acts, you just start reading and keep going. It would be easy to come to this passage, I think, and just kind of go, okay, great, transactional piece. They just need another guy to like jump in and, and start to lead to, so they just pick somebody, right? But I think that it's important to kind of stop and think about some of what we've talked about already, where these people find themselves in history and how this works out, and what they're given the opportunity to do. Now, it's important. You might say, well, why did they have to choose another Person, Why did they need someone else to replace him? Well, Peter says there, right, he sees it in the scriptures, but Jesus had actually told the disciples that they would help to rule over the tribes of Israel in heaven. Okay, so that's Jesus talking. So they needed another one because there's 12 tribes. That's not changing. So they needed somebody else to kind of step up. And so they have to figure out what to do with this and how to process this idea. And as Jesus left, when we talked about that last week, I think he leaves the disciples to do two things that aren't particularly easy. Here's, the, here's what I think he did. Jesus leaves the disciples to patiently wait for the Holy Spirit and to make the first big decision by the church. I don't think either one of these two things are particularly easy, right? How do you feel if somebody just told you to go wait somewhere? He said, I don't need, I, you don't know how long you're going to need to wait. I'm not going to tell you what it's going to look like, but you'll know when it happens that it's happening. How would you feel about that? That would feel very unnerving, right? How do I know what this is going to look like? How do I know when this is going to happen, right? Jesus told them the Holy Spirit was coming, but he didn't say when, and he didn't tell them, and this is how you'll know. He says, just go back to Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit. You'll know when he gets here, and then go fulfill your message. message. And so he says, go wait. So patiently wait. We all know we're not really good at patiently waiting. And then he leaves them to make the first big decision by the church. Making decisions in church world is not the easiest thing sometimes, right? So they've got to make this big decision, and it's the first decision that they've got to make without Jesus. For the last three years, they've spent all their time, where's Jesus going? What's he telling us to do? I'm going to follow that. This is where we're going to go. This is how we're going to do it. And all of a sudden, he leaves, and then they go, we've got to name a leader. They've never, at this point, ever called another leader to be a part of them or follow them. They've never done it. And Jesus doesn't give them a playbook. Well, he did. We'll see it in a minute. But he didn't like lay it out, right? He didn't say, this is how you're going to make this decision. And this would be the kind of thing that would be, I mean, again, both things, patiently waiting and making big decisions are not easy to do. And Jesus leaves them and says, it's your turn. Here you go. Have at it. And I think if we think about putting ourselves in that position, I know I would be a little bit like, how do we know what to do? Right? How do we make this decision? How do we process this? 
And I think this is a, a piece, this, this idea of like decision-making and processing and all that kind of stuff, big things. This is something that we all come to, right? We all have to make these decisions. And so as I processed this and thought about it, I thought, I asked this question. I don't, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or indicate anything. But the question is this, are you an overthinker when it comes to decision-making? Are you an overthinker when it comes to decision-making? Um, sometimes... Maybe it's easy. Maybe you get decisions and you're like, I know exactly what I need to do. This is easy. I've got a gut instinct. I've got some stuff. And, and that comes time to time. But every once in a while, I think we can get stuck, right? We can get stuck trying to make this decision even over um, silly things. I remember there was a time a few years ago, uh, we had just moved to Pottstown. So where we lived before we came here, we lived in Pottstown. And we moved there in like May, I think. And for the first summer, I don't think we made this connection. We were kind of getting to know our neighbors but then the next year rolls around, probably around this time, maybe a little bit later, and our neighbors kind of next door to us were getting a little bit older and had some health issues. And so my neighbor came over to me and he said, hey, and I could tell this was, he, he did not like having to ask for help, but he kind of came over and said, hey, would you be willing to mow my lawn too? Um, and just for reference, our lawns were like, tiny. Like this room is bigger than our lawn might've been, right? So it's not very big. And so it would take me maybe 45 minutes, maybe to mow our lawn. And so I was like, sure. His yard was the same size. So I'm like, sure, I'll do it. And, and I have no problem. And he says, okay, well, I'll pay you. And I was like, no, don't worry about it. And we did that whole song and dance for a little bit. And he's like, no, 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 you're, I'm giving you something, right? So I'm like, okay. So I get a few months into this and I go, well, if he's giving me a little extra money, I'm going to upgrade my equipment. So I was like, I wanted a new leaf blower and a new weed whacker. That was my thing. Cause our weed whacker was actually one of the ones you literally plugged in with an extension cord. And I was like, I'm tired of this extension cord. So we decide what we want to do. And I get to like the brand and I know the weed whacker I want, but I can't decide between the two different models. There was like a 40 or $60 difference. I don't know. I spent hours figuring out which one I wanted to spend money on. I, I mean, I looked up the Amazon reviews. I looked up the Home Depot reviews. I went online and looked up videos of reviews of this one and reviews of this one. I found videos where they bought both and they were trying to figure out. And I don't even know that I still felt settled. I think I probably just saved the money and bought the cheaper one because I was tired of trying to decide. Here's what I know. My weed whacker still works. So I'm like, okay, great. We made a fine decision. But I got stuck there. I spent literally hours trying to figure this out. Do you remember this? Yeah, she's rolling her eyes at me now. So like, I just spent so much time trying to figure out. I couldn't decide what I wanted to do. And again, this is even money I wasn't even planning on having. So it was like, whatever. Anyway, we get stuck, right? We try and make decisions. And sometimes it's big things, but sometimes it's silly things. But when the big things come along, it can be even worse, right? Which, which car do I buy? What house do I buy? Do I switch jobs? Do I, I don't know, who do I marry? All of these things. We get to the point where we have to make these decisions and we can overthink and we can process or we can make bad decisions. And we, none of us want to be known as people who make bad decisions. But I think there's actually even another layer to this. And it's this question, how do we make decisions as followers of Jesus? Like, we don't, I don't think we think about this that often, but if we've decided to follow Jesus, if that's our identity and that's who we identify with, right, we would say that we follow him and he's our savior. Every decision we make then is made through this lens as well. Like people are going to watch us make decisions who know us as followers of Jesus and say, well, look at the kind of decisions they're making. They'll, we, and we process this, we have to understand that what we decide, especially the big stuff, maybe not which weed whacker you're going to buy, but the big stuff, right, is, is all kind of needing to filter through, like, what does this look like? How does this, as a follower of Jesus, how does this change my mind and, and, and my comprehension on what this means and what this looks like and how I actually do this effectively? 
And I think when we look at this story in Acts, they actually give us a really good process for how we're called to make decisions, especially as followers of Jesus. And I think there's four pieces to this that I want to walk us through today. The first piece to making a good decision as a follower of Jesus is, number one, to surround yourselves with the right people. Surround yourselves with the right people. Well, where does this come from? If we go back to verse 14, uh, just briefly, it says, They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. So, so here's what they know. Right? Jesus doesn't give them a ton of instructions. He just says, go back to Jerusalem and wait there. Wait for the Holy Spirit. He doesn't give them an agenda. He doesn't give them things to read, right? He doesn't give them things to process. But they all stay together, and they continue to do life together, and they continue to share life together, and they, they process with one another. And, and I think that this is true, and this is true whether you follow Jesus or not, right? If you don't know Jesus, I think this is true. We reflect the values of the people we value. I, I remember there was a family that went to the church where I grew up. They had a ton of kids. There was like 12 kids in this family. And they had uh, one kid that was about my age and another kid that was at my brother's age. So we would hang out from time to time, specifically with those two brothers. But they had a lot of boys. I mean, I think they had 12 kids and nine of them were boys. So they, we just hung out all the time and, and did a lot of different things. And I remember processing different things with them. And this wasn't a great conversation as we were processing. But I remember one of them specifically saying, as they were thinking about what they wanted to do with their life, they said they wanted to go into the military, which is great. That's what they wanted to do. Um, and it was a good thing to, to choose. But then we asked him why. And he said, well, that's the only way you get respect in my family. He said he wanted his dad, right, and his grandparents, and then he, he wanted them to respect him. He wanted them to value him. And we all know that there's times where we want to have the people around us that we value, we want them to value who we are and what we're doing. So we will switch things up or we'll do things differently in order to show that we value what they value. Or maybe you've had this happen, right? Much less deep, but like you make a new friend and they've got a new hobby and you, you've got to try it. You want to try it and pick it up and you try this different thing. I'm still waiting to make friends with somebody who really plays pickleball because I really want to try it, but I don't have anybody that knows how to play it. So I got to figure that one out. But like you, you pick up the values of the people that you value. You want to connect and, and maybe that even causes you to spend money differently or, or process differently. And we can even do this with people we don't know. Like we can do this with people we watch, we follow on social media. We see what they do, the decisions they make, what they wear, how they process, all those things. And we might look at them and go, well, I like what they do or I like the way that they think or I like what they stand for. And so we decide to live out those things. And, and we, when we surround ourselves with the right people, we will start to have the same values as the people we value. And I, and I think this is true, too. And I think this shakes out in, this, in, the, in Acts, too, is that the ability to make a good decision starts long before the decision needs to be made. We, we've talked before. It's been a while. But I, I'll bring up every once in a while this idea of a predetermined yes to whatever God is asking us to do. Like if God shows up and says, hey, I've got this for you, or it guides us to this direction, or we, we feel the Spirit leading us in that way, when we've got that predetermined yes, we're just like, hey, God, show me where to go and what to do, I'll, I'll do it. Like it changes the way that we process that decision. And when we think about it, the way that we make good decisions by surrounding ourselves with the right people who give us the right values and instill the right things in us and help us to sharpen it shows that it helps us to make the good decision because it starts long before the decision to be, is to be made. 
we can see and start to process good decision-making before we get to the point where we have to make a big decision. And here's what I know. There are some people in the room, right, having the conversation or listening at home. You've got a big decision to make, and you're wrestling with this. But some of us are listening along. We're like, yeah, I've been there, but, like, I'm not there currently. But odds are we're going to be there, right? Your car is going to die sometime, and you're going to have to buy another one. You have to figure this out. So thinking about and processing, how do I make good decisions? How do I set myself up to be in a good spot, to process this the right way ahead of time is a big deal. And I think it starts with surrounding ourselves with the right people. Here's the second thing, that we would know what God has to say about your or about my decision. We go back to verses uh, 15 to 17. It says this, During this time when about 120 believers right, were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit, speaking through King David. And Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. So, how does Peter come to this conclusion? Well, he knows what Jesus said, but then he goes to the scriptures. Good practice by Peter, by the way. Jesus didn't give him a playbook. He said, go wait. Well, what's Peter doing while he's waiting? Reading God's word. You know, let, me, let me continue to process this. Let me continue to take this in and think about it. And so this guides Peter to be able to make this statement. And then if we jump down to verses 21 to 22, it says, So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus, from the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. Now, I think this is interesting for a couple of reasons. Number one, Peter gives us some insight that the disciples were not the only ones following Jesus regularly at this time. In fact, there were other people who were around from Jesus' baptism all the way through he ascends that were part of the group, even though they weren't part of the 12 disciples, they were part of the group that was following the whole time. And so Peter says, well, let's choose from these people. We know these people. Guess what? They've surrounded us and we've surrounded them. We've surrounded ourselves with the right people. We know these people. So let's choose a, a person to take Judas's place from this group. And so Peter gets the inclination from scripture to make this process happen. And then he chooses from people that they've surrounded themselves with and they have made good decisions already. And this is, this is what I would say to help us understand is that we cannot know the will of God if we aren't willing to include his word in our lives. We have to be willing to look at scripture and say, what does scripture say about my decision? Now here's the challenging part, right? Not all decisions are clear in scripture. Like, if you're deciding who you're going to marry, I, I did not, when I decided to propose to Becca, I did not sit down and read my Bible and go, Corey marries Becca, right? That's what's supposed to happen. That's not the reality, right? But does it give information on what it looks like to find a godly wife? Does it, look, does it give information on what it looks like to find a godly husband? Yes. So we, we look and we kind of process, well, what's the information I have to make a good decision? I used to wrestle with this with teenagers because when I was a youth pastor, um, the idea of weed becoming legal was starting to be more of a conversation. And so certain students would come to me and they'd be like, well, Pastor Corey, like, if it's legal, like, it's okay, right? That's, it's fine because it's legal. It's not illegal. So we're wrong to do it now because it's illegal. But the Bible doesn't say anything about weed. I go, okay, hang on. Like, let's have the conversation, right? But I would say, what does it say about being sober-minded? Oh. So yeah, like, every issue is not necessarily specifically covered in scripture, but we get a lot of information on how to make decisions based on what we're looking at through scripture. And so we have to be willing to allow scripture to impact 
the way we live. And, and, and here's the challenge sometimes. We want to know, just being honest, right? We want to know what scripture says about our decision until it says something that we don't like. And I've been in situations where people will come and they'll say to me or a conversation with other people, whatever, and they'll go, well, God told me to do this, right? The spirit's moving in me. This is what I'm supposed to do. And there's those hard conversations where I have to look at somebody or process something and go, but yeah, but the Bible says the opposite, right? God doesn't come along and go, well, this is what I say for everybody else, but I'm going to say something different for you. We have to be willing to say, what does scripture say? How does it impact the decision we make? Sometimes this is easy, right? Do not steal. Okay, so I'm not going to walk into Walmart and take something and put it in my pocket and walk out, right? But what does that mean about being honest on our taxes? How do we impact, how does that impact our decision making? How do we understand what it means? And are we willing to allow God's word to sink in and help us make good decisions? Here's the third thing, pray. So they get to the point where they know they have to make this decision, right? And then in verses 23 to 25, it says, so they nominated two men, Joseph and Matthias. Then they prayed. They all prayed this together. Oh, Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry. For he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. So they get to the point where they've got two guys, right? They go, both of these guys seem like they're good options. So let's pray about it. So they pray and ask God to give them wisdom. And here's how I would say this for us, that we cannot know the will of God if we don't slow down to hear his voice. We can't. Now, here's what I want to do. When I need to make a big decision, here's what I want to do. I want to talk. I want to talk, and I want to talk, and I want to talk, and I want to talk. I want to get somebody else's opinion. I want to talk to this person. I want to see what they think. I want to process this way. All of it. And I talk, and I talk, and I talk. I get it, right? That's what my inclination is to do as well. But one of the things we have to do is we have to slow down and allow God to speak to us as well. Yes, it's very good, right? We started off this conversation, surround yourself with the right people. So is it right to go and get help from other people that love you and care for you and want to influence you and want you to follow Jesus? Absolutely. Go have those conversations. Surround yourselves with those people, with mentors, with teammates, with spouses, all of the people that are going to help you make good decisions. But we, at some point, we have to slow down and to hear what God has to say and help us understand where is he guiding us to in this moment. Is there going to be this big thing that changes our trajectory? Probably not. But will we get to the point where we feel at peace with something and where we're going? Yeah, that's most of the time what has been my experience. We've got a big decision to make. How do I know whether it's right or wrong? I feel a peace about where I'm going. God's God's saying, yeah, you can go there. And there's other times where there's decisions that are going to be made, and I'm going, I just don't feel right about this. This is not, I've been praying about it, this does not feel good. And so I'm not going to go this direction. So we have to slow down long enough to hear from God. Here's the fourth thing. We've got to decide. We've got to decide what we're going to do. Now, verse 26, we go back to verse 26. This might have hit you a little funny when you were reading it, if you were paying attention, right? Because this is what it says. Then they cast lots, and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other 11. Now, take this at face value. So they surround themselves with the right people. They know they have to make this decision. They read scripture. They know what scriptures say and what Jesus said. So they have to add this person. They find two people and they pray about it. They say, God, show us what we should do. And then they flip a coin. That feels a little weird, doesn't it? But here's why this happens, okay? Let me help you kind of understand and process this. First of all, we have to remember something. They did not have the Holy Spirit. So when we come to decision-making, if we're followers of Jesus, we know him, we have the Holy Spirit to help us make those decisions. 
We can depend on him to move in us and help us understand what to do. They could not. Remember, they're literally waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. They don't have him yet. Now, here's the other thing. Casting lots was not as simple as flipping a coin, but it was also a way that God had given them in the Old Testament to help them make decisions. There's also a very important distinctive to make here is that they came to the moment where they had two people who were good for this job. This wasn't choosing between right and wrong. This was choosing between, we've got two guys that have been with us from the beginning. We know them. We love them. We want, we think either one of them can do this. We just need God to help us figure out which one we should choose. It's a little different than should I or shouldn't I do that, right? It, it, it's, it's, we know we're on the right path. We know we're going in a good direction. Now we just have to figure it out. And God had given them this way in the Old Testament before everybody received the Holy Spirit as a part of following Jesus because they didn't know Jesus yet to do this. And Proverbs even talks about it. Proverbs 16.33 says this, we may throw the dice or cast the lots, as it would be another way to uh, understand that, but the Lord determines how they fall. This is a regular practice given by God, but usually in the context of you've got the right decision, you've got the right path. Now you've got to choose between the best one, but either one could be God honoring. And so here's where I think it it boils down to for us. We need to make every effort to make a God honoring decision and we need to trust him to do the rest. At some point, right? Silly example. I just had to decide which weed whacker to buy. (laughs) At some point, just got to decide which car to buy. You've just got to decide which house, right? You've got to decide change jobs, not change jobs. You, at some point, you've, you've got to simply make that decision. Even if that decision is just not for now, right? You might say, well, we decide to do it. We're, we're not going to do it right now. We're going to wait on it. But we've got to decide. And then as we do our best, we surround ourselves with the right people. We process the right way. We read God's word. We pray about it. We just have to decide. And then we have to trust God to do the rest, to take that decision and do with it what he will. And there's actually a key question I think we don't ask a lot, but every follower of Jesus should ask as we process, especially big decisions. And here's this key question. Does this decision help or hinder my ability to advance the gospel? I think every big decision we make as followers of Jesus, this question should be asked. You think about it with what, what kind of car am I going to buy? What kind of house Am I going to buy? And, and, and is it this one or that one, right? How does this house, how does this car, how does this car payment, how does this mortgage help or hinder my ability to advance the gospel? Am I going to be able to gather more people and connect people to Jesus with the use of this house? Am I, is this car payment going to impact me not being able to be generous or be able to give to certain things because now I have more of a payment that I have to worry about? Is it going to impact how I process Is this job going to help or hinder my ability to advance? Is the person I'm marrying going to help me or hinder me from advancing the gospel? We get really good at knowing what we want, right? Well, I'm going to like this because of that, and I'm going to experience this, and I've never had this, right? So it's really good. But we need to also think about, is this decision, how is it impacting my ability to advance the gospel? We, as followers of Jesus have this calling on our lives. This is what we're all called to do. And sometimes we can make decisions that look okay, but if they hinder us from fulfilling the calling to be a follower of Jesus and advance the gospel, it's not a good decision. And so ultimately we have to look and say, am I fulfilling that role, that key piece in my life as a follower of Jesus? 
as I make this decision. But that brings us to another question that we all ask ourselves, right? Simple question. What happens if I'm wrong? What happens if I do all these things, surround myself with the right people, pray, read God's word, and I get it wrong? And you know, what's interesting that I think, you know, we're reminded of in this passage uh, is this simple fact about Jesus, that Jesus chose a disciple who conspired in his murder. Now, I don't think this was a surprise, right? Like, Jesus knew this. He knew that when he chose Judas, it was going to be a key factor in him losing his life. And he did it anyway. At face value, bad decision, right? Not great to add someone to the crew who's going to betray you and lead to your murder. That's not a good decision in hindsight. However, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And I think when we process how this works and what this looks like, we can make decisions and allow God to do with them what he's going to do with them. Um, Last thing I want to say, I'll tell one story and then we'll get out of here. Here, Here's the thing. There is no decision we can't redo or God can't see us through. And we need to trust in his omnipotence or his all-knowingness, not our decision-making. There is no decision we can't redo or God can't see us through. Now, do we get redos on what car we buy? Maybe, right? You might be able to have it for a little while and then buy another one. Do you get a redo on what, what house you buy? Maybe after a while, right? Some of us, you know, as we're young, we buy the starter house or something small and then we build up, right? We know that it's not the forever home. It's not the thing, right? We, we can do that again. Some decisions we don't exactly get a redo on, right? You can't necessarily redo getting married. You're not supposed to, right? You're supposed to stick with one. And so there's that process of understanding. Decisions are big. We have to decide what to do with it. But there's no decision that God can't see us through. And even when we seem to make poor decisions, God can step in and do something really cool with them. Um, I've told this story, I think, before, but I'll tell it one more time. When we were getting ready to move out of Potsdam, actually, we didn't even know we were going to move yet. It was May of 2020. um, So the world was, you know, what it was at the time. But interest rates had dropped, and we had lived in our house for a while. So we decided to refinance. And so I I distinctly remember we were sitting outside with the guy who came with the paperwork to ask us if we really wanted to refinance. And I remember we were sitting outside because COVID was still around. So we met outside. We didn't have to wear masks. We felt better about each other. We didn't know this person, all that stuff. And so he looks at us dead in the eye in May of 2020 and says, are you sure you're not moving for five years? Do the math. It's 2024 and I'm standing here. So that decision was different, right? So two months later, Pastor Tim calls me and says, hey, are you interested in being the new lead pastor in, in, um, at GFC in New Holland? And I said, uh, we set up a time, and I, I, literally one of the first sentences out of my mouth was, I am interested, but I cannot move tomorrow, right? That we, it doesn't work, right? We just refinanced. We have no equity. If we try and move now, we've got no equity in our house, so it's just going to be a bad financial decision. So if you were here at the time, what we ended up doing was we, this was, we started in November of 2020. So, you know, just a few months later, we're here at GFC, but we lived in Pottstown for seven months until 2020, June of 2021, because we needed to figure it out. But here's what happened, right? Because of the way the market went, our house actually appraised for more seven months later, like a good amount more seven months later than it did when we re, when we had, um, we had redone our mortgage just a few months before. And so when you look at it timing-wise, right, bad decision to refinance before you move less than a year later, or about a year later. But God worked it out. So sometimes 
we make decisions. We, and we had prayed about that. We had understood. We thought this is what we're supposed to do. And yet it looked like maybe it was a bad decision, but God still worked in and through that. And so at some level, like we, we have the, the responsibility, right, to do our best, to make the right decision the way God has called us to make it. But eventually we just have to make the decision and say, God, it's in your hands. Right? You, you get to do with it what you're going to do with it. I don't know what you're going to do with it, but you do it. And so we get so scared sometimes of making big decisions, and it makes sense why. But at the same time, I think we just have to do our part, depend on God, and allow him to move the way he's going to move. We don't always know what that looks like. Every decision we make isn't going to look good. Maybe a few months later, it's going to work out differently than we thought. We can't know all the variables of what's going on. And yet God does, and he can move in and through those things. So like I said earlier, I, I don't know who's here right now and, and processing a big decision. There's those of us, what do I do, right? I don't know, weighing this, having conversations. And there's those of us who are maybe not quite in that moment yet, but it's probably coming, right? There's going to be a moment where we have to make a big decision. So what's the process? Surround yourselves with the right people now. Understand what God's word says about it now. And when it comes up, pray. But start the process of making good decisions now by understanding who God is and surrounding yourself with people that are going to value the same things you value. And then when you have to make that decision, hand it to God and say, this is yours, right? I want to see how you work through this. Be really heavy to work through decisions. But when we know and we're connected to the God of the universe, <laughs> it's a small thing for him. And so we trust him to grab on and take that decision. It's on his plate. It's on his omnipotence. We don't need to depend so much on our decision-making. We can depend on him and what he's going to do through our lives. Would you pray with me? Jesus, it, it, it can be hard to make these big decisions, especially if we've got something sitting on our plate that we didn't know was coming we didn't know we were going to have to do, or we it's a life situation that we don't even want, and yet we have to decide what to do with it. And it can be really difficult to feel like we either don't know what to do, or we don't know how to handle it, or we weren't prepared. But God, I thank you for this framework, this way that uh, the, the early apostles and, and other followers, they had to figure this out and ha- had to process what it would mean to follow you and make decisions. And I pray that this process of just surrounding ourselves with people and learning your word and praying and deciding all of it would be something we lean strongly into and that we would do our part for making wise decisions, but that we would ultimately allow you to take that and run with it. And I pray that as we make big decisions and we are truly trying to honor you, that we would have peace about where you're taking it and where you're taking us. Even when we make a decision and we look back and go, man, we didn't have all the, all the variables there, we would still be able to understand and to make those decisions in a positive way. And we would trust you to step in and do all the things that we need you to do. I pray for specifically, specifically for those who are making those kinds of decisions right now. I pray that you give them peace. I pray that you give them the right people to have conversations with. I pray that you give them the right scriptures to even understand as they're processing what this means. Um, And ultimately I pray as they make that decision that you would give them peace and you would show them how you were in and through all of that 
as they look back on it later. In Jesus' name, amen.